were getting Easter gifts for our kids. That's, you know, we do that in America. We get gifts for our kids on Easter. So I, we were shopping, and um, let me just be honest. I hate shopping. I absolutely hate it. I, I have to have an agenda. I have a list, and I'm going in. I'm on a mission. I get what I get, and I leave. I've got things to do. I mean, it's got to be efficient, right? And it drives my wife crazy. I mean, she gets anxiety because I'm just like, we're in, we're out, let's do it. And we had to go to the worst place of all yesterday. It's called Walmart, people. We went to Walmart, and it was horrible. It was horrible. This is the Walmart on Harmony and um, Chick-fil-A and Starbucks has the audacity to park next to Walmart, and it's the most narrow entry and exit point, and I promise you, there were one million people in this area yesterday before Easter, and so it took us 30 minutes just to get in the Walmart parking lot. So during that time, though, I'm, I'm a, don't worry, I'm efficient. I look at my wife, and I'm like, hey, uh, here's the game plan. We're going to go in. You get the cart. I'm going to lead. We'll take a right. There's Easter stuff there. We'll pack it up. It's right next to the self check out. We'll scan it. We'll get out. We'll have good time. It'll be great. And it didn't, it didn't work that way. See, my, my wife, my wife goes to Target for fun. I'm going to say it again. My wife goes to Target for fun. She goes and tries on clothes and she doesn't even buy them. She just like looks through things and I'm like, what are you doing? And I promise you, if you were at Walmart Yesterday around 12 o'clock, I hated you. I was so mad at you. Like, what are you doing there? What is going on? And we walked in. There's no cart. It, the apocalypse was happening. There was no Easter stuff. People were running around, like, throwing things into their car. I'm like, what are you doing? And my mindset was just absolutely terrible towards people. And it, it, it reminds me, and have you ever had a moment where you think something or you look at someone and you just think something like terrible about them and you're like, wow, that was really, really bad. Yeah, I had that moment. And every time I do, I sit with the Lord and I'm like, hey, Lord, can you just, can you work out my people issue? Like I have a big, I know I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to, I just have a big like people issue. And for real, every time I say that to him, he always comes, he sits with me, he says, Trav, so you don't have, you don't have a people issue. You have a vision issue. And it's, it's hard for you to accept the way that I view people. It's hard for you to align with the way that I view people. In fact, you're still processing how I view you. And this morning, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to stand amongst people. And he's showing them that the view they have is, is actually not the view that he has. It's not the view that the Father has. And so we'll dive into Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. And this raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. See, humanity at this point had, had been divided in, into two separate classes of people. We read about them. There's two of them. There's the Jewish religious leader, and then there's the notorious sinner. And when I say the word, like, there were sinners gathered, we all think, well, I, I was a sinner, I'm a sinner, like, it's part of it. No, the, the Greek word would actually be they're choosing to live in sin. And then it says tax collector. 
It's hard for us to understand that uh, in Western culture today. I, you think someone charged you 30 bucks, it only costed 20, and they took the 10 and pocketed. That's true to some extent. But the tax collector uh, was funding the Roman military. If you know anything about the Roman military, they were awful, awful people. They were terrible. They were known um, to take over cities and kill and capture 20,000 men, women, and children, and they would crucify them. They were horrific. And the tax collector was your neighbor. It was your friend. And they would come to you and say, hey, you owe what's due. And they were funding this military. So they were horrific, horrific people. And then it says the Jewish religious leader. Um, it's hard for us to understand that. When we think an expert of the laws, we think maybe they had a great education. These people genuinely believed that they were better than everybody else. That is what they thought. What they did on the outside was a reflection of everything, and they literally separated themselves. Like, I, I need you to think like segregation, like where people were divided because of the color of their skin and multiply it by 100. And Jesus is talking to both of these people. I want you to catch something. Both have gathered to listen to Jesus. One is drawn to what Jesus is saying. Verse 1 says, often notorious sinners gathered to listen to what he was saying and tax collectors. And one is there because they're frustrated with what Jesus is not saying. They're really, really irritated. And both have completely missed the point. They've completely missed it. I would suggest this morning that the way you view God the way that you think he views you, it affects everything. And it determines everything. It will affect your marriage. It's interesting how this way always affects this way. See, I always saw like I had a people problem. The way I see people was terrible. Yeah, but I, I hadn't yet aligned with the way that the Lord viewed me and the way that the Lord was viewing people. And he's going to teach them this in Luke chapter 15. In verse 3, it says, in response, Jesus gave them this illustration. He's going to walk through three different illustrations. I've only heard them one at a time. I've never read them in the setting of, wow, he's speaking to a group of people, and he tells them three illustrations. So let's dive in. Verse 4 says this, there once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. And so the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. And with exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and I brought it home. And Jesus continued in the same way. There will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold. More so than for all the righteous people who never strayed away. Jesus gave them another parable. There once was a woman who had ten valuable silver coins. And when she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for the one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I found it. And see, that's the way God responds. Every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him, he says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for the one who was lost, I have found. 
They have never heard a story like this before. The Jewish religious leaders had to have been absolutely furious in this moment. We read this today, and maybe you've heard it before. It makes sense. It's not very edgy. I would suggest to you Luke chapter 15 is what gets Jesus killed. I mean, this is, for culture, absolute blasphemy. Religious leaders do not associate themselves with sinners and people speaking about God. They, they don't say things like this. And I love when Jesus shares stories and he answers it for himself. We could pick apart this, and I, I really I encourage you to. There's a lot to pull apart for the lost sheep and the lost coin, a lot of fun things to dive into. But he answers himself after every illustration. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost I have found. There's three things in common with the two illustrations that we've just read. Something was lost, it's obvious. Something was passionately pursued and sought out for and found. And once it was found, it brought joy to the finder, so much so that he asked people around him to celebrate. He really, really sets the stage for the last story that he's going to read or he's going to share with them. He's speaking to two people groups, and he's just kind of set up what, what he's really trying to get to. This is a story of the lost son, or maybe you've heard it as the prodigal son. And it says this. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. And the younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. And shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. And with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. And the farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And, I, and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son sent off for home. And from a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar. I want to press pause for a second. Remember, Jesus is speaking to two very different groups of people in this moment. And I can imagine in this moment, the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law, they, they kind of tune their ear in just a little bit more. Because Jesus has butchered the first two stories. I mean, this is wrong in their eyes for Jesus to speak these things. And this is the moment for him to redeem his, himself. Because this son has disgraced his family. And the law would say we, he should get what he deserves. It's written. He hasn't followed it. He's against it. And I just imagine they are waiting for a father to meet his son and just give him what he deserves. Back him and say, look at what you've done. You've disgraced our family. You're no good because the people next to them were treated that way. I imagine they were really excited for Jesus to say what they wanted. 
because that was their view. But he shares with them his view. See, he's spoken to the Jewish religious leaders. It says in in response, he gave them these illustrations. But what's interesting is he only highlights the value of the tax collector and notorious sinner. He only highlights that. And he, he shares something brand new. It says, so the young son sent off for home. And from a long distance away, his father saw him coming dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. He hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. And then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. And turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, and I'll put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. The unclean, the notorious sinner, the tax collector, had never heard this story before. This had never been presented to humanity. And he has so elevated something, he has, he has showed them his view, and they had no idea. Both groups are absolutely like, this is crazy to them. And he seems to kind of shift who he's talking to, because he's addressing one group, but he's really speaking to the notorious sinner and tax collector. He's elevating them, really talking to another group. But then he seems to shift his view, his voice, because there were two brothers in the story. Both received their inheritance. One ran away, which was the youngest one, and one stayed home. Says this in verse 25. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. I just want to pause for a second. He heard dancing. These people knew how to throw down. They were having a party. Like he hears like. So he called over one of the servants and he asked, what's going on? And the servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. And the older son became angry and he refused to go in and celebrate. Let me just pause for a second. I have a two-year-old and it seems like that would be her response. Like we read this and we think, what do you mean? Like you crossed your, like you're not invited to my birthday party, dad. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're not going in to celebrate? Like, what a diss, right? Culturally, I want you to understand something. He was the oldest son. So he was required to co-host the party with his dad. This is a culture where hospitality is of the highest value. So this was actually the most disrespectful thing he could have done to his father. He was supposed to be in there elevating the culture, serving people, raising the atmosphere, and co-hosting the party. This is a side note, but I want you to think about this. As the church, as the body of Christ, it is our privilege, it is our design to co-host the party with the father, specifically when lost people come home and say, I'm ready to celebrate with the king. It's our job. 
It's a privilege and it's, it's an honor. We get to co-host the party. It says, so his father came out and pleaded with him. Come and enjoy the feast with us. And the son said, father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father said, my son, you are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because the brother of yours was once dead and gone. But now he's alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he's found. I think it was probably really quiet after he finished the story. I don't know, but this is what I imagine. The idea that I belong to God, regardless of what I think I'm doing right or what I think I've done wrong, I just belong with him. That had never been presented to humanity. And he offers both of them the same thing. Hey, I just want to be close to you. Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you three different ways. Like, I'll give you illustrations if that's what you want. But I, I really want to be close to you. Maybe this morning you, you feel like, you know, the sheep that's wandered away. Can I remind you, you, you have a God that is passionately pursuing you. Or maybe you feel like the lost coin. You know, because you, you gave your heart to somebody and they absolutely destroyed it. And you don't feel like you're seen, you're hiding in a house and nobody knows where you're at and, and that's where you are. Man, God is passionately pursuing you. Maybe you feel like the younger son who wandered away and you really like to come back. You, you just, you've, there's so much scrambled and you just have no idea what to do. I love the picture. I love the picture of the father just like waking up, makes a cup of coffee. He goes onto his front porch in his rocking chair and he just rocks back and forth and scans the horizon like today's the day. He's coming home. I can't wait to see him again. Man, that's the invitation. Or maybe you feel like, like the older son and you've been home the whole time working diligently like a slave. Can I just remind you? Everything that he owns is yours to enjoy. That's what he said in scripture. Your value is not based on what you think you can do or what you think you've done wrong. That is why we celebrate Easter this morning. That is why we celebrate the cross because he paid the price so that like a father scanning the horizon, he could meet the son and embrace him. And like the older son who's been home working diligently, he could do the same thing. Would you co-host the party with me and celebrate? That's why I think following Jesus is so amazing. Because it gets better and better every time. And the party only grows. You only celebrate more. It only gets louder where people can hear you. And it's beautiful. He has risen today. Man, that's good news. 
and tomorrow when you wake up, it's the same invitation. Oh, it's beautiful. You have a father that says, I just want to be in close proximity to you. You were designed for this. What Jesus is really saying is return to your rightful order. You are designed to be close with God. Maybe you're close. It's actually very... Simple message, even though culturally it was crazy. That's the invitation this morning. You get a father that desires to be close with you. Stand with me. Let's pray.